I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. We have such a fun episode for you today. It's a special holiday episode with our dear friend, Michael Nichols, who is an actor, a screenwriter, and a director. And he's best known for his films, Hands on a Hard Body, the documentary, which I highly recommend. It's amazing. Really amazing. It's about this competition in in a small town in Texas where you see like these people. This is real life, obviously. I don't know if it still goes on, but this was... I don't know if it still happens today. But but anyway, the documentary is about this competition that happens in this town where people stand and compete to see how long they can stay standing touching this truck. And then the last person standing without breaking any of the rules wins the truck. And it goes on for days. And it's fascinating, all the characters. And But anyway, that's not what today's episode is about. But go see Hands on Hard Body. Well, get it on your streaming. But what today's episode is about is Michael's newest film, Holly Star. Well, they turned that into a Broadway play. Oh, yes. Remember? Hands it was, on Hard Body. I guess Body. it wasn't. It was off Broadway. No, I think it was on Broadway. It was on Broadway, but then it, it didn't, didn't run, run very long. Very long. But it did and Trey Anastasio from Fish actually did the music for it, uh, so, which is pretty dope. Very dope, as you say. I do not say that word. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Michael's a dear friend. He lives here in Maine, pretty close to us. He moved here to help take care of his dad. And we've had the pleasure of getting to know him and his beautiful wife, Julia, who's actually edits everything at katenorthup.com. She's our amazing editor. She's an incredible writer. And she's just an amazing person and their daughter. So we hang out with these folks a lot. And it was a real pleasure. I was I did the extras casting for Holly Star, the film we're talking about today. So Michael wrote this script 24 years ago. And what's so incredible about this story of the film is that he has persevered through so much rejection and like so many moments where it just seemed like this was never going to happen and he held on to this beautiful idea and we talk about why this is so important to him and why it matters and it's such a beautiful sweet funny film and it's out everywhere right now are screening Mm -hmm. so on download yeah it came out on december 4th and this is coming out a week later so I think it's a great movie. We talk about this in the show, but to watch this holiday with your family, it's like get together. It's filmed in Maine. There is a scene from, you know, in New York in the beginning, they did a drone shot, but everything else was filmed in Maine. It was filmed. You'll see some friends possibly that are extras. Kate's makes a small appearance. You don't actually see her face, but, uh, you see the back of my head. Yeah. And I would just, it was cool to be behind the scenes. Why this uh, movie was being filmed here because we got to see things were happening. We got to go to the set. It was crazy. It was was like, it was cool cool. to watch the movie and be like, oh, we went to that set. You know, we were there. And yeah, it was his, he turned it, his dream into a reality and was able to, it's a great story of once you have a dream and turn it into a reality. Like I just, let me repeat myself once again. Please Please don't. Yes. (laughs) 24 years, guys. I mean, think about something that you've been wanting to manifest and maybe you gave up after nine months or something. So this is a story about holding on to a beautiful dream for 24 mm-hmm. years. And it is finally manifested. It's a great movie. Go get it on Netflix or nope. iTunes. It's not on Netflix. It's on Netflix. iTunes. 
Amazon where you could purchase or rent at this moment in time. Yeah. I would say this is an independent film, okay? Support and so it. there's a big difference between like you think Marvel movies, we talk more about this in detail, but independent films are very, they're not backed by big studios. So Michael raised all the, the funding to make this happen. So for us as individual business owners and small business owners, I'd love to support other business owners. So if you stop this podcast right now, just go to your phone, buy the movie, you got it ready, support these local businesses and local movie you know movie directors and he's wrote it and he put it together and created it so all we can do and directed it and 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 he's been working on this for a long time yeah Yeah, it's been great to hear his story how he's come how he's created this so let's go support holly star enjoy the episode and our friend michael and by the way even if you don't work in movies which probably you don't although some people might this episode has a lot of lessons about persistence about communication about hiring and about creativity enjoy we all here yeah take two let's go (laughs) it reminds me there was a guy who's testing his microphones for a children's book reading at barnes and noble and he got up there to do the microphone and he was like, he was doing like a huge concert venue. He was like, test, check, check. One, two, check, check. One, two. <laughs> Julian, I still laugh about it. And it was like 10 kids on a yeah. carpet. Check, check. One, two. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you always know you wanted to be in movies? Yes. Since when? Since probably seven or eight years old i think oh jeez, i'm so sorry hello kate's got her the phone. worst interviewer ever <laughs> by the way we've i think you you know we're just we started because i don't need to re-record the intro no. so since you were like seven so do you my, remember what movie it was that you that was the moment or was it not like that it wasn't necessarily a movie my father gave me a, a movie camera oh. and um it was a super eight and you know cartridges yeah and i would just like yep this is it this, that's kind of all i that's ever so wanted to do once i started and i just kept making movies when i was a kid with the neighborhood you know children and my sisters and my parents were in them and i would just do it constantly and was always like super excited to get the because at that point it was being developed you know, it wasn't digital. So it was always like getting it back from the lab and then seeing what you got. And it was so exciting. It was like, yeah, this is, this is a thing that I'm going to do. So it never actually occurred to me later to my sister was like, you're really lucky that you knew what you wanted to do. Cause she didn't when she was in college. And she's like, it's just a, that was a gift to you to know what you wanted to do. That's I didn't true. think of it that way. Yeah. That's such a, that's gift. cool. Yeah. Do you still have any of those? Like the old tapes that you made from a long time? Oh, yeah. 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 They're, uh, they're interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they're her- terrible. I mean, they're, I'm a kid, right? So I don't right. really know what I'm doing. But the one thing I do notice from, as, from adult eyes is that I was editing in camera. So I was shooting, you know, this shot, and then I would stop shooting and then turn the camera around and shoot the next piece. And then turn the camera back around and shoot the reaction. And I thought later when I saw it as an adult, it's like, oh, that's kind of interesting that I intuitively knew how to do that. So I was like, yay me. <laughs> Until then I went and I saw like Steven Spielberg's like, you know, childhood movies. And I was like, oh, 
Okay. <laughs> That's a totally different level. I mean, he, made, he was, made, you know, I don't know. He was like 10 years old and making these insane war movies. Really? Yeah. I, they're on the DVD of Private Ryan. So wow. I, like an extra, like yes, an extra yes, of yes. wow. I don't remember seeing them and going, oh, okay, that's what it's <laughs> like to be a genius, and knowing that at your ten years old. And so, anyway, so, I went from yay me to ah, uh, okay. <laughs> 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 but how did you learn? How did you learn that? Did you go to film school? I did. You did. I went okay. to NYU. Okay, for yeah. for college or grad school? For college. For college. Yes. Okay. And then what? What was the first movie you ever? worked on that wasn't as a child like professionally well i guess uh, you mean well i made movies in college yeah and they got some notoriety because they were good and um they you know i won some awards and i got my first agent when i was still in, at nyu but i think the very first professional gig well i mean uh, it's hard to okay because then I was an actor for a while. Right. Which I also want to talk right. about. Right. <laughs> so, um, so you were an actor. So just give it the order of, like, you, were you acting when you went to NYU? No. I went to NYU film school. You went to film school and then you started, didn't, then you finished NYU and then you went into acting? No. What happened was I, I made my, they call it your junior narrative at NYU and I cast it, and then I didn't like any of the actors that I, w- that I was going to cast for the lead. So then I just played it myself, which probably I was going to do anyway, <laughs> you know? And so then I played that role myself, and that, that's the movie that kind of got me some attention while I was at NYU. Okay. And it got me an acting agent, actually. Oh. So I started taking acting classes when I was just still in college and studied acting along with studying film, which turned out to be great because then directing became a different deal because you're, you're talking to actors on their own level and you kind of know what it feels like to be in their shoes, where a lot of directors who were in film school who hadn't done that were kind of afraid of actors or a little bit uncomfortable talking about emotions or talking about the weird things that actors do. And, you know, how to handle that was, was, uh, it was hard for them. But for me, it was, it was easier because I had, I had done it. I had been there and been in that position. So then I started pursuing a career as an actor because it put me on set. And I got to watch how movies were made rather than being a PA, which would have been the natural progression. I was. PA stands for? Production assistant. Okay. I'm gonna, we're, yeah, yeah. A lot of people listening here don't understand yeah. probably the film business. Right. Oh, that's true. Just like us sitting here just at like the table. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Which we need to talk Until about. Until recently, but second. now you did. Oh, for, I have to ask all the definitions. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that in a second. So production assistant, <laughs> which we'll dive into because <laughs> yes. I will walk, uh, I will ask questions about like the structure of film. Okay. Because I would love to just get some breakdown and I'm sure people listening to would might want to know. Yes. So keep going. So started acting in film and realized I didn't, wasn't any good and didn't know what I was doing. Uh, so started studying that really seriously and studied with a, with a guy named Sanford Meisner, who was one of the, heard of yeah, him. he was one of the founders of the group theater in the forties. So real huge acting teacher, big influence on my life. And I started studying with him 
and that helped a lot, you know, and I started to get more comfortable with what it meant to be an actor. And, and as I was acting, I became more comfortable with how to, to direct actors and actually how to look at a whole a project more organically and more honestly, because, you know, acting is all about being honest. And so you take that kind of approach to your work as an actor and you kind of apply it to your work as a writer or a director, whatever it is, it can feed those disciplines really well. So that is a long-winded story. I don't even know what the question was anymore. Well, I was asking you what your first First, professional, like, but, but I guess it's hard to say. No, I can, I do remember what, and it's, it was actually while I was still in high school. Oh, okay. The natural with Robert Redford came Uh to, to the town near where I grew up. And they were looking for, in upstate New York. Oh, in upstate New York. And they were looking for extras. And I got to be an extra. Really? In the natural. Yeah. So you're an extra in the natural. Oh, cool. Can we see you if you're on? If the... you freeze the frame, it's very quick. Yes. Yeah. It's and great. an extra is someone that just like could be a background person. Oh boy, I can't wait right? to talk about extras. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Great. <laughs> All right. Just. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, I've actually never seen the natural. I heard it's I pretty good. I have never movie. seen the it's natural. Great. We're gonna watch yeah. it though. We watched. You can watch it to see me because you won't. We're going to watch it to, we're going to, we're going to ask you which part you're in, obviously, but so that we can freeze frame it, but we will watch it if it's just a good movie. (laughs) But we did watch when we found out you were in license to drive. We we did rent that and we watched that and, and it's, you, you can't miss you. Mm-mm. Yes. Yeah. I, that re- one I remember mu- you guys texted me a photograph from, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. from that movie. It was a really good movie. It's probably, you know, the top 100 movies of your lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely entertaining. It is entertaining. It really I'm sure at the time that, it was like, a big because it, it was a big 80s, right? With the Corys. Yeah, it was. So it was a big deal. It's uh-huh. very 80s. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very 80s. When did you stop acting? And I haven't stopped. He hasn't stopped. He's in his movie. Yeah. Oh, of course you are. But I stopped making it my primary. But that's but that's. Source. I guess that's what I mean. Like, w- was there a moment where you realized you wanted to transition more into directing and screenwriting rather than pursue acting as your? So I did all thing? three um, concurrently through m- most of my entire career, and it's just mm-hmm. which one you focus on. And I think you know, there's that adage that what you put your attention to grows, right? And at some point, I just stopped putting my attention on acting. And then it started to become less important to me. And I think that was just as I grew older, too. It was less exciting to try to discover new things about it. It became a little bit tiresome to drive around Los Angeles to go on auditions for one line. I can't imagine why. Right. You know, and and I, I, my career hadn't progressed to a point where I was getting offers or getting really exciting roles. It was, you know, I was a working actor and working yeah. actors require you to do working actor things like anybody else who's in a business that's, you know, hustling to get the yeah. next gig. And there's no shame in that. It's, it's just the way it is. And But it, it became harder and harder for me to, to love it. Mm-hmm. And so my attention came away from it. And so it didn't grow. And the stuff that I was more interested in was the writing and directing part, because I'd always been that was really how I started and kind of put my attention back on that. Once I did that, then that started to grow. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't give up those 10, 15 years of, you know, focus being as an actor for anything, because it really did, like I said, really, you know, informed how I, I work at all. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of 
if you were to ask any of the people who worked with me on any of my films, they would, I think that's what they would all say is like, oh, he's good with actors. Well, and that's what makes sense. me really proud. <laughs> yeah, because I think about like, you know, I took some business classes in college, for example, and, and one of the professors was a business owner mm. actively working, running companies in New York City. And he would come and uh, lecture at Brown like a couple days a week. And then one of them wasn't. And obviously the one running his own businesses was a far more captivating and effective professor because he was in it. So it's just like a perfect example. We want to learn from people who've done it if we can. So I guess that's probably why you're a good director. Well, I think it's also with actors, it's just about being able to communicate, right? (laughs) I mean, no, it's like anything. If you're able to communicate with people with the language that they know, it makes people more comfortable. I think that's true for any business. For sure. You You know, language matters. Yeah. I mean, when I started at Philip Morris working the manufacturing line, one of the things they'd said is go learn how the, because I was young, right? These people were, the people I was working with were 50, 60 years old that have been there for 30 years. And they said, just go learn how to run the piece of equipment and just learn from the operators. Cause then you'll start, you're getting buy-in from them themselves. Right. So as a director who understands actors, you're getting buy-in from actors that you understand what's going on. Instead of just like showing up and telling people what to do, right? It was, it's language, right? It's yeah. About, now, now my mind is spinning around because I feel like this came from something you guys have talked about, and Julia, my wife, told me about it, which was something about, and it stuck in my head like a couple of days ago. She said that somebody was talking about if you call Legos Legos, no, you have to call them Lego. There's no S on the end of Legos. Did right. you know that? Right. No. I I, you know what? I kind of knew that because people who are really hardcore into them call them Lego. Right. Yeah. And so, and if you, if you are, you know, if you call it Legos, then you're kind of dismissed like by the real, by the real people. Right. And same thing with like, as an actor, if you're a director and you come up to them and, and give them say, I don't know, an example of like, you know, say, you know, here, do the line like this, and you give them a line reading. They actors are they already they'll dismiss you. Like, okay, now I know what I'm in for, and I'm I'm not gonna I don't feel comfortable here because this director doesn't know how to talk to me. So I guess it all comes down to Lego Legos. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah. knowing how to speak to somebody. So what would right. be a different? What would be the way to talk to it instead of saying do the line like this? What would you say instead? It depends on the actor, actually. Every actor would be different. And that's something to know, too, is that, you know, I think you learn that by being an actor and knowing that you want to be spoke to in a certain way that maybe your co-star doesn't hmm. care about. And so everybody and it, your job as a director is kind of figuring out that person style ahead of time as much as you can and kind of suss them out. It's about reading people and about hmm. kind of, you know, this person may want you to talk to them really directly about like give me you know an emotion that reminds you of something in your childhood like you could go that way some of them you know some actors are just i think um i mean gene hackman there's a great story about gene hackman he went up to a director and said i just you know four things from you faster slower you know louder softer <laughs> wow you know oh, wow so it's kind of knowing and hearing yeah. the way they want to be directed really huh. such a, what a great life lesson do you remember mike when i told you in our early days of dating that sometimes remember you would talk to me and i told you i needed you to talk to me as though i were crying 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you know how Mike can be really direct. Yes. And he's gotten softer over the years, but it used to be even more intense. So I would say to him, like, please talk to me right now as though I'm crying and really so you, upset. Is this about everything? Like... Um, well, it's, it's, know, there were just certain moments. Here's a this like solidified it through the our my, our therapist when I was having a therapy session with him one day I was solo I was by myself and he said you know you're really jacked up right now how do you feel on an energetic level from like zero to ten and I said I'm like an eight eight and a half and I'm ready to go and he's like well let's actually get it calmed down to a five or a six. And so we just took a moment, closed my eyes, breathe, you know, and brought it back down to an energy that we can actually, he said, real conversation happens between a five and six. So like if Kate's crying, I'm not, you know, I'm not yelling at her at like a nine. What's wrong with you? You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like, what's, what's wrong? You know, what's going on? And so that entered the tone level, basically of bringing it down to a five or a six is what Kate was asking for. But it took us, I, we worked, I've been working with David and Kate and I, we have him as a couples therapist when we need him too for like three years. And this just happened recently. I was like, great. It took you three years to tell me what we could have learned a year, you know, three years ago. And, but that's what the that's what it was so it's like really where true conversation is happening around a tone level of four five or six right where connection really takes place that's easy shorthand yeah yeah because if yeah. you're like a one mike i need a four now I need yes a four, yeah. it is true because if like it's a, it's just like what gene hackman said yeah. right. louder softer because if it's that's at a really one funny. you're annoyed because you can't hear the person right you know if you're ever at a restaurant you're listening to and you're like what or it's, it's just ten, boring to listen to you know, when people are right. like flatlining. Monotone. I did that with an actor on, on a movie. You Numbers. Oh, you did? Numbers? Yeah. Yeah, it was just... Like intensity or what was the what It was what just was like, it, you know, if it, whatever the scene was, if it was a crying scene or if it was a laughing scene or a happy scene or a surprise scene, I, after a take, I'd go, you know, well, that was probably like an eight and it should be probably like a three. Um, and and she was she liked it you know we kind of had a really great working relationship like that and so it made sense to her and that's the way i directed her on the set was just with like what you just said so when so you cast your movie and then and you've got these people Mm. and then how do you how do you listen for the way they want to be directed what are some of the is there anything in particular Mm. or is it just that you just happen to be really good with human beings well, no to that. <laughs> um, no, let's see. Well, one of the first things I do before I cast anybody is to, if I'm in a position that I can do this, is to have a conversation on the phone. Better if we meet in person before casting somebody. Yeah. Because I work most, I work exclusively in the low budget indie world. Or, or you know, maybe not low budget because some of my budgets have been okay. So just say indie world. So what's a like a low budget? Like is it like a hundred thousand dollars or? Well, I, I mean, I've my budgets for the films that I've made. I made a movie, a feature film that was successful for fourteen thousand dollars. What? Oh, wow! And the very that's low amazing. Yes. What movie? It's called This Is Not a Film, <laughs> and uh, it was done for fourteen thousand dollars, and it played for eight years on the IFC. Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah, so it was probably, you know, dollar for dollar, my most successful movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then, on the other hand, I've had budgets, you know, for two and a half to three million. 
So anyway, to work. And that's as in comparison to like a Marvel movie, which is 250 or $300 million. Correct. Yeah. Massive. Massive. Yeah. yeah. There, there's pretty big gap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a right. small amount. Yeah. So in the indie world, getting to meet an actor is important for me because if I'm not casting a star and I'm casting a working actor, there are certain things that matter to me more or as much as their talent in delivering the part. Because there are so many actors and there are so many good actors that when it comes to an indie movie where you're moving so quickly and everybody needs to be a team player, that if you aren't, if I don't sense that you are or aren't able to listen, then I won't cast that person mm -hmm. even if they are probably the number one on the list as the actor for the role because you, you just can't afford it yeah your film will not get finished yeah and so. having witnessed the way holly star was was produced i can see how one weak link would make the entire thing right fall apart yes yeah because you're moving so quickly and you don't have any time and if oh. an actor is not prepared or you know difficult and it's also not just it's also not just being unprepared or difficult it's also just a vibe like if somebody's not you can sense that if somebody's on this doesn't want to be there then you know everybody tenses up and the movie kind of suffers because right you know so you try to put together a team that can uplift a film and make it feel you know that it has a, a working energy that's going to power it through all of the difficult times that inevitably are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it's a very similar to hiring people. What, that's yeah. what it is. It, well, I mean, it is, I know, but like it's, a, yes, you are yeah. hiring people. It actually is hiring yes, people, is not, yeah. but it's for like a shorter term. Right. Thing right. Then. So yeah. to answer your question, I think the number one thing that I look for is, is the ability to listen. Mm -hmm. If I sense that somebody is just waiting for me to stop talking so that they can fill in the, their line, then it's a red flag for me. Yeah. But I'm like that in life anyway, too. Yeah. Like, just people interaction and with people that I meet. If if I sense that somebody's not really listening, then it, it's really a... Mm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> when did you start the script for Holly Star? 24 years ago. Seriously? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Wow. So, I know, right? I know. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing that I still that's I worked amazing. on it for that long. No, I mean the commitment yeah. to a creative idea is impressive. Stubborn, yes. Yeah. Is that what you meant? Stubborn. No. <laughs> twenty four years ago. Twenty four. Yeah. So years what? Ago. Have, what's changed in twenty four years? Probably everything. Or? Uh, well, first of all, it was initially two guys, and it took place in Chicago, and it was a big budget movie. It was, I had written it to be a studio movie because I wanted to break into studio filmmaking. And I thought that the idea was good for that. And it turned out that I was right, that when I wrote it, that it got some attention. It got an agent to submit it to studios. And they don't do that unless they think that they can make some money and that the, it can get picked up. And everybody has that dream and hope it's the golden ticket, right? Mm -hmm. So it went out for the weekend read, as they say, and it went to all the studios. And on Monday morning, you wait for bated breath to hear. 
and even by Monday morning, you kind of already know, because if it really was something that set everybody's pants on fire, you would know Sunday. You would get that call from your agent going, oh boy, you know. So by Monday morning, I hadn't heard anything. By Monday afternoon, I knew it was over. And the problem with Hollywood is, for me as a filmmaker, was when it's over, it's over. And then the script's done. And nobody wants to see it again or nobody wants to talk about it again. It's, it's like... It's, it just it's as if it doesn't exist. And the next question, you know, well, what else do you have? And my answer was, well, this is still good. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a really good idea. These guys didn't buy it. But that doesn't mean that we can't make it for uh, in a different route, like as an independent movie rather than a studio route. How about we do that? Right. But we're talking about money and the big money is with the studios and the harder money is the indie world. And it's harder to, there's a lot more work involved and it's a lot more, you know, people that you'd have to, doors you'd have to knock on. And the only people are, who are going to do that are the filmmakers because nobody will work harder on a project than you will for your own good, your own project. Yeah. So, so that's what I did for 24 years. I met people and I got, you know, different producers interested in and every one of those producers wanted to do a rewrite about on the script because everybody has notes. And so you do those rewrites and you do those rewrites for free and you do hundreds of rewrites over decades. <laughs> and that's just a lot of work. Yeah. And I think that what happened is well, I don't think what happened. I know what happens is that I eventually kind of burnt out on it. And I was like, I don't really want to keep rewriting this thing to death. And I put it on a shelf. And I was like, all right, I'm done. How long ago was this? This is probably like six or seven years ago. Was, you know, <laughs> you know. So it was before Iris was born. Yes. Yeah. Right. So um, Iris is Michael and Julia's daughter. Yes. Right. Julia is Michael's wife. He mentioned that earlier, who's also the editor for everything we do over here. And also I'm my co-screenwriter on a yes. lot of my projects. She's amazing. Yeah, she is. I think we can all agree. agree. <laughs> <Yes>. Absolutely. <laughs> we could have a whole, we, a we, whole we, podcast we about Julia. Let's we, do we that sometime. <laughs> maybe and maybe she'll bust on. out her uh, accents. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Totally. She's very talented. Let's start now. We'll just go. We'll just, just go get her. Ditch this whole. We're here. To, we're here here. <laughs> to talk about you today, Michael. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, all right. So then, I. What did I do? I. I never gave up on the actual idea of it, which was I wanted to do a movie, a Christmas classic. I wanted to try to make a Christmas classic, and I wanted it to be unusual, and I love the idea of somebody life flash you know having a near-death accident and having their life pass before their eyes and finding a moment in that you know swoosh of images when your life passes in front of your eyes that you hold on to and you go wait what's that image what's what happened back there and it happening in it back in the you know in their childhood and trying to f regain that memory try to regrasp that memory i always thought that was a really good idea mm -hmm. so i think that i'm not quite sure why but at one point i just decided that I was tired of the characters, the two guys I'd been writing about, and I was tired of writing about Chicago. And my parents had retired to Maine, and I'd been to visit a couple of times. So I just, you know, started writing it as two women. And it wasn't that hard, to be honest. All I did was find and replace on the dialogue, mm -hmm. literally, 
And, and that's the thing that I think it would be, is interesting for screenwriters all over the world to consider is it really is just as simple as like, you know, changing the name. I the dialogue does maybe need why to change. the characters I just I hope it's OK to interject yeah. like the two main characters in this movie are so fun and multidimensional. And I think that's one of the problems that people talk about in Hollywood is that female characters are so unidimensional often or historically speaking. Mm -hmm. And not to say that you would have, I have no doubt you would have written equally as interestingly for men and women, but like, I just think that there is something so to be said for what you just said, that like people are people Mm -hmm. and that when you write that way, like people are people. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I love these characters. Yeah. They're so great. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I like them too. Male or female. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're just really interesting, yeah. wacky people. It was better. It's actually better mm. for me. It, it, it brought a lot of new life into it. Did it? Yeah, it did. I liked having two women as the leads. I was excited by doing that. It, yeah. it felt really fresh to me and exciting to do that. Was there always a romance or was that new when... There always was, yes. There was always romance, okay. Yes. The romance and, part is fun. Right. I mean, of course. Yes. Who doesn't love a romance? A good romance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, but it's interesting, though, because the, the movie is a mixture of treasure hunt, female buddy comedy, and romance. And a little, and mystery. I mean, mystery, I yeah. guess that's yeah. the treasure hunt part. Treasure but there hunt. does, it's like a little, yeah. And Christmas. Yeah, and Christmas. So, so Christmas. <laughs> Who doesn't Maine, love yeah. all of those yeah. things? And Maine. Yes. Christmas and really, in Maine. like, no movies are ever set in Maine. Yes. Or that were actually filmed in Maine. When they say a movie was set in Maine, they, they always film it in, it in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. And I'm always annoyed by it because I can tell. You know why that is. Because Maine is terrible in terms of the the, tax. the taxes. Yeah. What Can you talk about that for a minute? Well, I think that there are people working on that right now, which is trying to get a tax rebate situation going on in Maine that has it's significant enough for productions to be intrigued and enticed to come and spend their money here. It's as simple as that. And, okay. and if the government passes the a tax rebate law, then productions will start to funnel into Maine. And yeah. it'll, it'll be great. Because yeah. there's big like benefits in like California, right? Like or Atlanta's in, Atlanta, Vancouver, New Orleans. Yeah. Too, right? Yeah. No? I think Louisiana's filming a lot right now. Yeah. Vancouver, Canada. Because even Heather said they're okay. like looking at doing a movie in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So it's like to if everybody lives in California, then you just move everything to Vancouver. It's like makes no sense from a logistics perspective, but from a money perspective, it does. Yes. Because you get benefits from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, producers will, if you say, I want to make a movie in Maine, they'll just look at the numbers. And if it's cheaper to shoot it somewhere else, and if you can get 30% back from another state... Guess where you're going. <laughs> Guess where you're not going. Yeah. Now, what yeah. made you stay committed to, was it because of your life logistics that made you committed to filming in Maine? Even no, because at a, at a certain price point, it's kind of a wash. Okay. Like if it's, you know, if, if you're low enough budget, the benefits of shooting elsewhere are, you know, evened out by exactly. shooting here where you, you can, you don't have to transport certain people. It was great. I mean, we shot in Saco and Bitterford. And they just opened their doors to us and they were, you know, just welcoming and made our shoot super easy. We got to close down, you know, streets for our stunts. We got, you know, people bringing us hot chocolate, (laughs) heating us. Our production office came at the mill, one of the mills, you know, we got to stay there and work out of there. We got, we had two like 
amazing extras casting people who live in Maine. Should we talk about that? Sure. <laughs> I'd say there was that's a good segue. One extras casting person. You'll yeah. notice uh, so at the end of the movie. Kate actually did all the work. I didn't do any of it. That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Yeah. So I turned to Kate and Mike, turned to you guys before shooting and go, I, I need somebody to help me with extras casting. You guys are really organized and know a lot of people. That's pretty much what I, you know, the qualifications for the job. And you both were really kind and agreed to do it, which I think maybe later you regretted, but no. <laughs> it was a lot of work. And I think that it was a surprise how much work it was, right? It was a surprise how much work it was. Yeah. It was so interesting. Like just, I think that the, the part that I didn't anticipate was how, how in the moment it was and how much things would change. And so it really made me respect filmmakers and that it's not like, and I guess I knew that, right? Like because an example. Like, for example, I had everybody lined up for this one shot. Let's say I'm making this up now because I don't remember the details because yeah. <laughs> two years ago. But like I had everybody lined up for, you know, a 7 a.m. call time or whatever at this specific location. But then I think due to weather, which, of course, you can't control. And that was a crazy two weeks that you were filming in with the weather. Oh, my God. In Maine in December. Then everything was changed and then people needed to be a new place. And then like I remember I forgot to email this one poor woman who I'd never met who like showed up at a parking lot at 5 a.m. and bit of her, you know, like things like that. <laughs> I was just like, oh shit. But overall, like people were so excited because if you live in Biddeford and Saco in Maine or just in Maine in general, you don't have opportunities to be in movies. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. like it just doesn't happen. And I would say Saco and Biddeford don't get a lot of enthusiastic coverage on the world stage. <laughs> people were excited to have their town in a movie how did you find all those people um by the way i'm a fiend about extras like that's a big thing yeah like i mean what's the difference with having a good extras coverage and not okay so mostly the amount of extras you have on independent movies in particular it's really hard to get people to show up at five in the morning in an empty parking lot because they're not paid they're not paid. Right. And on, on like a studio movie, the extras would be paid. Correct. Yeah. And it's a union. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, got it. All right. So you're getting, you know, you're getting your SAG, you know, payments and you're, you're checking all those pockets, pock, boxes. boxes. So is there people it. that only make. Correct. They're, they're only living, extras. They're only extras. Yeah. Oh, wow. You can make a living as an extra. I didn't know that. S- yes. In an indie movie, it's a lot harder because you don't have that, you know, enticement. And in Maine, there's a lot less people (laughs) that are, you know, it's not a business here. Yeah. So anyway, that's a huge thing. So if you go to see an independent movie and you go and you're in a bar sequence and you see like four people, it makes the bar feel really small. And so the director has to shoot it small. So it'll be a lot of close-ups, oh. and, you, and the movie feels smaller. Whereas in a big studio movie, they pack, pack it with two hundred people. It's like, wow, that's that's a happening bar. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is just are the extras believable? Because a lot of times you can watch movies, and this is what I do: I go to movies, and I I'll forget the main actors, and I'll just watch the extras really? in the background. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know it's terrible. I'm gonna start doing <laughs> yeah. that now. And why do you watch the extras? 
because I do think that really good extras who are, by the way, run by the AD, the first AD, first assistant director, which is a misleading nomenclature because it's not really, you don't really assist the director the way you think of it in other businesses where the director's assistant. So the assistant director on a movie really basically runs the ship and pushes the entire, you know, machine forward daily. Like they're the first one that's on set Mm -hmm. and they're the last ones to leave Mm -hmm. and they work, I think the hardest. I mean, they just, it's a really specific job. Anyway, they are in charge of, they and the second AD are in charge of, of the extras. And if you watch a really good scene with really good extras, it's, it's, it's amazing because they're usually actors because they're big Hollywood movies and they're hiring real extras who do it for a living and they're good at what they do. And it just brings this, you know, reality to Hmm. a scene and bad extras who are faking their dialogue and it looks like they're, you know, they're not talking, which they're not because you can't, yeah, you can't. (laughs) And it just, there's a skill to that, you know, and they're either over, over talking and, and, or they're trying to get on screen a little bit more and they draw your eye away from the scene. Anyway. Interesting. No, it's fascinating. Cause I mean, if you're like me and you just watch movies for entertainment, you just don't notice those, or at least I don't notice those things. So when you watch The Natural and you look for me as an extra, you can critique my performance. I will. (laughs) I'll text you. I'll let you know. We'll see if you try to steal the Um, scene. Yeah, exactly. But for Holly Star, I just emailed everybody I knew. Okay. For extras. And then... Was it on Facebook or was uh, it... I did it. I posted... I would post on Facebook. I emailed and then there was a posting that went out there was some ad uh-huh. and so mm-hmm. i had the hollystar extras at gmail.com that people mm. emailed so a lot of people just emailed in because they saw the posting maybe in, I think it was in a, Craigslist a, a bit of for, or something or was it a yeah. publication I, of some I don't kind remember, but yeah anyway so some people just came through that and then i asked the people who said yes to then contact their networks Ah, mm-hmm. so it's because I love to network. So I was just ah. like, okay, you, who do you know? Who do you, okay, who are the five people you know? And then the five people you know, and then, and then between all those people, we'll have somebody. But and did the, you, did you then take those five names that you were given to you? And did you then? I had a spreadsheet. So then I put um, everybody in a spreadsheet and then I, and I put their, I had like a whole system around their availability. So, and their ages and types. So there was, cause I knew you or the AD had given me the specific scenes and who was needed for each thing. So I kind of like organized according to who was needed and who was what and what's the who's he and like, cause you knew right. kids and the mom with a minivan and you know, like these different categories. So I just like, you know, I remember you needed the like party. six Santas or eight Santas or something yes. for the still shots. And so that was a tricky one. And so I remember I called actually, I was sitting in Logan airport, my flight had landed and something got changed about the still shot day for the Santas. And so I was like, geez, who can I find? Who's like middle-aged men who could potentially look like Santa. And so I remember I called Noah's dad. <laughs> I uh, read Noah's dad. I called Steve, yeah, who I haven't called since I was like 16. And I was yes. like, hey, Steve, so I need you to go to <laughs> Biddeford and be a Santa. And he was like, all right, great. And then, you know, this other guy called up. He was a musician and he was available. He was a friend of one of the other, or he was the, the brother of another extra. And then when he called, I was like, hey, can you do me a favor? Who else do you know? who could be a Santa. So it was just like, you know, asking people to then find the other people. 
It's a great shot of those Santas. It is a great mm-hmm. shot. It's awesome. The Santas turned out great. Yeah, they so did. Good. They turned yeah. out good. So it was really fun. Yeah. It was really fun. Well, I remember the day of for extras that most impressed me was the day we were on the train. Because we, it was, we had to catch the train at, yeah. I think it was 4.30 it in the morning. It was 4.30 in the morning. And there was 10 to 15 people there on the, I couldn't believe it. And they were mostly I our friends. Yeah. Because that was the first day of shooting. <laughs> It was the first scene that needed extras. Was I it? I think it was the first scene that needed extras. Yes, it is. Yeah. Wow. It was the very, And yeah. so, so the good news about that was it was like the heavy, like it wasn't like those people had been asked 25 times. It I was see. like, we're going, we're, we're starting strong from the starting line. Like, okay, it's 4.30 AM. You just get on this train and then people like, it was, it was Ella and Joe mm-hmm. and Carrie and Nat. It was like people who, yeah. you know, show up and if you watch closely you'll see carrie and nat yeah it's an adventure oh but come on 4 30 in the morning in the winter up and and it was an hour away it was amazing i loved that moment (laughs) (laughs) i I said i said my thanks it was yeah so okay so what did you learn during i'm sure so many things but Mm. what could you say you take away as you know lessons for your career or lessons for your life from the making of Holly star. I would say, well, I'm proud that I never gave up on mm-hmm. it. You could argue that it was ridiculous to spend that many years pursuing one project, which isn't really true. I didn't just pursue that. Well, yeah. Project. It's not like you were pursuing yeah, it, but I just kept coming, coming, coming back to it. But that was an itch that I really needed to scratch. And a lot of times I think it's easy to, because look, a lot of people rejected it. I mean, it got rejected all the time. Every time I tried to get the movie made, I was rejected. And then, like I said, and I would rewrite it to please somebody. And I would rewrite it to please the next producer because there's a chance I might get it made. And I really wanted it to get made. And so you do that and, you know, the, the, you can argue either way that that's, you know, good or bad. But it's easy in those instances to just give up. And it's hard to just keep pushing forward and going, okay, I believe in something enough to just keep trying. And, and as I got older, I was a, a more protective of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, I would just rewrite what anybody ever wanted me to do because I wanted it so badly. And then as I got older, it was a little less of that. And then, you know, when I finally got it made, I made it completely with full creative control. So as the writer, director, and producer of the movie, I got to call all the shots. And there was nobody looking over my shoulder, and all my executive producers were really supportive of me. And so at the end of the day, it probably is the best version of the movie that was ever going to be made. Mm -hmm. And so that's something, because that's a long journey to kind of polish the, the diamond as it were, or the, the coal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's some sort of analogy. Polish something. Something. To polish polish something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, to chip away at it and then finally, you know, realize that, oh, this is what it always wanted to be. It wanted to be this. Yeah. And I do feel that way. When I watch the movie, I'm, I'm still touched by it, which is amazing to me because I, I've seen it so many times. How many times have you seen it? I, I mean, yeah. I don't think I can count <laughs> anymore. Yeah. So that's one thing, you know, what you put your attention on mm-hmm. can kind of grow. And then I think from and a really specific filmmaking standpoint, what I learned was that because this is the first film that I really took from very beginning, beginning to very, very end. I was 
the point person for the delivery of the movie to the distributor, yeah. which I had never done before. So because of our budget, I was the de facto post-production supervisor. So I was in charge of things that I'd never been in charge of, and I had to sort of figure that out. And the best part of that, the thing that I learned about that was I just asked so many questions. And it was kind of what you just said about calling, you know, your friend's father who hadn't spoke to in 16 years. I was yeah. making call, calls like that. But I, listen, I know I haven't spoken to you <laughs> in ages, but I, uh, I have a delivery question. I love it. Yeah. And, um, but what I learned about that process was that you have to start, this is really maybe too inside baseball, but you have to start the delivery process in your prep. When you're making a movie, you need to be thinking about how yeah. you're going to deliver it to the ultimate sales team and you have to be organized and put together your documents and you have to have all of that in mind before you even start right. shooting begin with the end in mind i yes. mean that's transferable yeah. to mm -hmm. any project management right. that you're doing because it makes it so much easier in the end if mm -hmm. you thought of what you needed in the beginning yeah not only easier but yeah i mean easier but also like it's just better. It's more professional. Well, yeah. And I think that certainly in filmmaking, you don't care. You're just like, I just want to make my movie. I don't, I'm not, I don't care about the end. I just got to get the movie made. And, you, and, and I'm mo most filmmakers are like that because we care so much about film and about making, creating something. So you, you just was like, I, I don't care. I'll, I'll figure that out later. And, and that's a mistake. Mm -hmm. There was, it's like, uh, I heard somebody talk about writing a book one time when you're done writing the book, you're only 50% done. Mm. Oh, you know, it's like when you're done shooting the film, you're only 50% done. It, right. Cause Good. then you got to edit it and then you got to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. So how does it work? Cause you had a budget for this film. So, so you had financiers. Correct. And then a distribution deal. We had to find the distribution deal. You had to find it after making the film. Correct. So you raised money to actually film, to make the film, yes. basically, and right? And the film gets made, and you did a bunch of screenings in New York and stuff and in L.A. to then get the distribution deal. Correct. Okay. Right. And then, well, now people can go watch the movie on iTunes. Yes. And yes. I really recommend, this is the perfect movie to put on on, like, a cozy winter evening with your Christmas tree or if you're not Christian that's also totally fine <laughs> um, and wrap presents or do whatever holiday thing you're doing like it could be the classic holiday movie for your holiday season mm -hmm. like ongoing yeah it's got the wackiness it's got the humor it's got the it's got it's whimsical it's it's very fun wherever yeah. you watch your digital films or movies you can buy it so like go to iTunes yeah and buy it yeah. people this is an indie movie Yes. Michael needs support. Support, <laughs> support indie the film. artists. Yes. And all the artists who worked on this film. I mean, Michael mm -hmm. and your family and then the actors and then and then everybody. Crew. I mean, it's yeah. really I think Positions. that you know, mm -hmm. right now is an interesting moment mm -hmm. in film which you can very much speak to. I cannot as a viewer, but like how are things shifting now that some movies I know like our friend Heather Graham's movie came out on streaming and movies at the same at, yep. in the theaters at the same time and mm. like how does all of it work now that everything just streams at home and people don't have to go to the theater anymore i mean i know it's been a while like that as though i i'm sounding like i'm geriatric but like <laughs> <laughs> but within the last 10 years things have changed significantly they have yes yeah the iphone is 11 years old so it's changed yeah, yeah. I was just driving yeah. over here i was like i said to julia i was like oh, I, I i miss the video stores yeah i miss dvds do you know there's one blockbuster left 
I didn't know that. Really? I, wa- yeah, I watched this. It was on Vice, I think they had a thing. Yeah. It's in um, Oregon, but it's one blockbuster left. Yeah. Wow. And the woman goes to, technically not supposed to do this, but she goes to Walmart, buys a whole bunch of movies, and then she rents them. Then she, that's what she shows, like puts up on that Friday. She'll buy all the movies from Walmart and then put them up. Oh, my God. And then people rent them from Blockbuster. Yeah. And so they still like the movie, like that feel. I like of going film. to go to the DVD store. Yeah, I remember. Oh, it, it I love so Friday great. nights. We would order yeah. pizza and then we would go pick up our movie and then we would go back and get the pizza yes. and come home because it was done by the time we chose our movie at Play right. Again. So now it's just gotten smaller. So now it's the pizza gets delivered and you flip through yeah. the digital. <laughs> yeah. Folders. And you have you could do it iTunes or Netflix yeah. or Hulu and yeah. Amazon and like there's a ridiculous amount of choices. Now you don't run into the boy yeah. you have a crush on at the video store anymore. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But how does that change things for you as a filmmaker? Does it? Oh, sure. I guess the Golden Goose isn't as much about the theatrical release right. as it once was because so many films are being released online on VOD, you know, pay-per-view. But, you know, having a film in theaters is still a prestigious thing to do and it's still super exciting and and it still drives the market for, you know, it, it gets you the press yeah um that you need to to get awareness because that's the the goal and that's the hard thing is getting people to know that a film exists because there's so much content yeah you know people there's so many places to go to watch things and you, you just go to youtube and spend you know a whole week never watching a film and being completely entertained because you're just watching other people's videos or you know yeah. stuff so trying to so theatrical is really about that at now is it it really breaks you out of the pack because it gets you the the press and you know it gets you the articles and you get people aware of it that you know ads are out and you're like oh that's a movie <laughs> you know so then when it does come out on you know and and like a Heather's movie for example which I was executive producer of we half magic half magic yeah. if you've not heard that episode go back and listen to the half magic episode half magic with Heather episode. Graham yes and go see the film go or see the film sure. rent the film yeah rent the film this yeah. holiday season please buy Holly Star and half magic <laughs> go to the H folder in your yeah you'll, you'll find them under H <laughs> um, so with Heather's movie it was it was interesting to see how that all kind of came together because she was getting a lot of press and and it drove the traffic to the online sites. And that's kind of what way people are doing it. That's kind of the way yeah. it's going. So is it a little bit more grassroots then? Like in terms of... Well, the indie world's always been well, grassroots. of course, right. It's always been about breaking out and trying to find... And just you know, trying to find ways to get let people know. Yeah. That's yeah. why I'm sitting here with you. Well, right. <laughs> you wouldn't have just come on our podcast anyway. I would come to your basement anytime. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> just hang out in Please your basement. Please come back again. <laughs> you can play in the big cardboard fort. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you want people to know about this movie in particular? Or what you wish for this movie, what you wish? Uh, yeah, of course I do. I mean, I made it only because I wished for it to be a holiday classic that people return to. That's what I, my goal was. It was, it, can I make a movie that people the following year go, hey, let's put on that one with the puppets. By the way, we never talked about the puppets. Oh, the puppets. Oh, there puppets, puppets in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, which were made, handmade in Maine. That's a whole nother story about the handmade nature of this movie, which is, which was my motto going into it was I wanted it to be a handmade film because it was no longer going to be a big studio movie right. it was going to be made you know with grit so i wanted everything to feel handmade and that's why 
it looks the way it looks a certain ways that there's a certain retro aspect to it there is yeah yeah and that's why the puppets were handmade for mm-hmm. the film they were made out of wood for the movie it's, it's not a digital creation anyway so to answer your question it was about that it was to have some kid somewhere go hey that that one with the puppets and somebody says holly star yeah let's watch that one yeah and they rent it and or they you know put in the dvd or whatever however you're they're watching movies 10 years from now it still gets watched at christmas time because that's what i did as a kid i remember those specials for us it was the rankin bass you know rudolph one and then it was a wonderful life and it was christmas story of course and it was Miracle on 34th Street. So everybody, I think every family has something or a few of them, mm-hmm. and I want to be one of those. Hmm. You'll be one of those in okay. our house, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it's family friendly. It is. For sure. It is. So you can absolutely watch this with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great flick. It is. Uh, I'm excited to show Penelope. Uh, She's going to love the puppets. Yeah. And she'll see Iris in there and be like, there's Iris. Yeah. She's going to be yeah. so excited. And Michael's in the first scene. I am. Yeah, the director of the puppet show. Yep. I play my alter ego. Yep. Jimmy Jim Jackie. <laughs> that's your alter ego? That's my alter ego, yeah. So when you're I, acting, we've that's what you... have talked about this before, yeah. Jimmy there, Jim Jackie. There's a running joke in my family about... Because I, I just don't... It's like, I, I, it takes me effort to, to be a certain way, like with customer service people, because they have to be sort of friendly and upbeat and kind of to get things done. So I put in my alter ego, and his name is Jimmy Jim Jackie. I like it. <laughs> so you'll, you'll get to see Jimmy Jim Jackie. You'll and then also get to you're see, also in it. So you just, oh, yeah. Yeah, this will be like you get a prize or something if you. You're like me if in you the find natural. Kate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except exactly. you can see your face in the natural, right? right? Yeah. 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 So no, Kate this is one will in. It'll be a little trickier. It'll be my hard. My face is actually not. It's in when it. the two women are walking. You're giving it away. But they're never going to see it. Yeah, just say it's, it's the person walking the dog. It's the yeah, person it's the walking person the, the dog. dog. With the two women are like walking in the snow. At, yeah. Yes. Oh, now you really gave it away, Mike. Well, there it's, definitely. I trust. I just By watched the way, the you movie don't win anyway. a prize anymore <laughs> yeah, because no. I just yeah. told you. Well, <laughs> if, you, if you can, you can withdrawn. But there's two people walking, so they could say on the right or the left. Either way. Yeah. Well, Michael, it was. <laughs> irregardless, it was a pleasure yeah, to be yeah. involved, even just like minutely in this film. I learned no, so much. Thank you, and guys. I love this movie. I really do. Aww. So everybody listening, go watch Holly Star for your holiday extravaganzas. And we love you, Michael. Aww, so proud of you. you guys. Congratulations. You. Yeah, congratulations. Awesome, guys. Bye. So for years, I've been thinking about holding and hosting a high-level mastermind, paid mastermind, for a small group of women who really want to go deep over a long period of time to take their businesses to the next level. I've had the opportunity to be in close conversation with a lot of business owners who are further along in their journey than me and kind of learn things behind the scenes while we're making eggs in the morning or like curled up on the couch with tea at night. And those opportunities have been so valuable for our business growth. And I want to offer that kind of small, intimate, going deep opportunity. And so I finally decided there were a couple of signs. It is time. And I am officially opening doors to the Origin Incubator. So this is for entrepreneurs who identify as female, who are well established so you have consistent revenue you have consistent customers you more or less know what your offerings are and it's high level 
and it's going to be small, only 10 women, and some of those spots are already filled. So if this sounds good to you and you would like to work with me quite closely in 2019 and also have an opportunity to work a little bit with Mike throughout, head over to origincollective.com forward slash incubator. So again, that's origincollective.com forward slash incubator, and you can learn more about the program and you can learn about how you can apply. I hope to see you in the program.